Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is a day for adventure and a night for hope. England take on Colombia this evening in their first make-or-break international at the Russian World Cup. Thousands of fans are heading over there as we speak, not just hoping for a victory, but expecting one. We'll head over to Moscow later on, and tonight more than 20 million of us are expected to be glued to the TV. Where on earth are you going to watch it? Are you going to be out and about? Uh, are you going to be quietly watching it at home? Coming up on the show, we're talking to Esther Ranson. We'll be finding out just how British diving experts found the missing Thai football is trapped in a flooded underground cave and we'll be asking whether the lottery is actually doing the job it was supposed to do when it was invented. 0344 499 1000. Daisy McAndrew is back and she'll be asking whether school trips have just become too expensive for many parents to afford and why Travelodge is suddenly going up market. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. We're talking about the lottery. We're talking about lottery funding. We're talking about lottery grants and whether they go to the right people, some good causes, deserving causes, or just a load of middle class people uh, who want to set up a drama group or some kind of film society uh, in North London. I mean, I don't think it's quite as bad as that, is it? Let's talk to Roy, uh, who's up in the Wirral, and he can tell us about Liverpool. Hi, Roy. Uh, hi, Mike. Hello, Daisy. How you doing? Hi. Good morning. Oh. By the way, I never, I never fancy following Harvey Keitel. <laughs> what? What about Harvey Keitel? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, I think he's one of the, one of the best. He is good. Anyway, he is good. Yeah. Right, Mike. For a southern journalist, you've got the situ, the Liverpool situation spot on. Thank you. It has, and you will have noticed what you said about the frontage. It compares to any other city in Europe, but oh, yeah. if anybody's never been there, go. Oh, it's gorgeous. You Absolutely know. beautiful, yeah. Take, take a visit. You know, stand in front of the, the you know, the, the pierhead, the Cunard buildings. Look at the cruise ships at the terminal. Yeah. All that money is being aimed at the tourist. Okay. Are you saying it doesn't go to the proper areas then? No, of course No. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, we, in fact, in the autumn this year, I think we're paying some French puppeteer about another eight million uh-huh. to send over the giants to walk through the streets and all that. Oh yeah, but the point you is, know, surely, surely, when the money goes to the city, though, um, there have been 
parts of the city which have been rejuvenated as a result, no? Not the not the not the, the estates on the outskirts, no. no. Okay. No, not at all. No, no. One, once you've moved that outside of the city and and well, let's say the inner city area, right? Um, you know, going out maybe Toxteth, past Toxteth, Croxteth, and all that. After that is forgotten. After yeah. that is forgotten. Right. You know, the Neverleys, the Speaks, the, you know, I could go on and on. Right. But well, it's my other argument as well. I mean, we've had, I've had this argument about Scotland as well. I mean, the Labour Party ran Scotland basically from the beginning of time and only recently lost out to the SNP. But they did nothing for the deprived areas of Glasgow, the deprived areas of Livingston or Edinburgh. You know, absolutely uh, the square root of, of sweet FA, I'm afraid. And they just did not help those places because it suited their purpose to represent them, uh, but not do anything for them. Well, Liverpool's got got um, capital of culture, as you know. Yes. Uh, and ever since then, we've we we've just aimed constantly with any sort of funding at the tourists. Yeah. yeah. You know, we really have. We love the, the, so many cruise ships coming in, which is good for the city. I'm not saying it isn't, but some of the but you know, I don't like to think of some little old lady out in Neverly, or like I said, or speak or where, where, wherever. Not being able to get hold of a home help. Yeah. No, indeed. Actually, it's, you know in, it's interesting, Roy, you know, one of the things we've been saying is that the places that have the most people playing the lottery are not the places that are benefiting. But I was just thinking, apparently Liverpool's had almost more than anywhere else of lottery winners. Yeah. So, you know, people oh, really? bought, bought tickets well, at, and go. won. Do, do you know any, Roy? <laughs> Daisy, I, do, I personally don't know any. Hang on, I better draw on. Daisy's, j- Daisy's just done the equivalent of an American running into me at Kennedy Airport and going, oh, yeah, I know a guy in London. Do you know him? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just wondering if he knows any single lottery winners. No, seriously, Daisy, I would, I would imagine. I'm, I'm talking about these outskirt areas again. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine on a Friday at every post office when the benefits come out, there's a queue at the lottery machine. Well, this is the you sort of serious. Right. This is the serious point because people are saying that people on much lower incomes are spending a much higher proportion of their income I, on I lottery that. and I not and that. not benefiting from it. That's spot on. Keep your calls coming on that, please. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. We're going to speak now, though, to uh, Alison Maloney, uh, who's acting deputy editor of Fabulous Digital, uh, because of the story uh, that she wrote about in Fabulous about how a sixteen-year-old school wanted us to pay two point five thousand pounds, two and a half thousand, for her to go on a trip to Las Vegas, and she's pretty outraged by it. Alison, a very good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Now, I mean, what sort of a mother are you? Why wouldn't you let your daughter go to Vegas and have a great time? Yeah, what what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. Exactly. Exactly. Well, well, exactly. Uh, Well, the problem, obviously, was I was wondering what she was going to learn in Vegas. Basically, I don't want her to learn. Right. Now, I mean, we're we're told that the price of school trips is rocking. I was telling Daisy, and I don't want to tell you how many years ago it was, because it's probably, you know, before and practically before decimalisation. Not quite that bad. But, I mean, I, I... my secondary school went on a camping trip to America, across America. Uh, we went in two sort of station wagon cars. We had about two or three teachers with us. And it was a great experience. And I don't remember it costing the earth because, well, you know, my parents weren't particularly wealthy. And I think I stumped up a bit of the money for it. I mean, is it, is it becoming, are they, are they sort of keeping up with the Joneses, the schools? But, is this but what we're Mike, doing? Don't you slightly suspect also that it was the teachers that wanted to go to Vegas and thought, I won't go in my very, very long school well, holidays. No. I'll go during the term time and I'll get the parents to pay for me. Well, surely, though, <laughs> surely, though, I mean, if you're a teacher, you want to go to Vegas, you don't want to have a lot of school children following you around the casino, do you? I don't know. Anyway, Alison, what do you think? 
<laughs> well, I, my, my point exactly was I'm sure that they, they were picking um, the destination for where they wanted to go rather than for the educational benefit of the children. Um, I mean, the two trips before that were China and Japan, right. uh, each of which were about between two and two and a half thousand pounds. And considering if I'd sent my daughter on all three of them, you know, we wouldn't have had a family holiday for exactly. several years. But I mean, what, what would you rather they did? Family. What would you rather they did? Would you rather they went to sort of, I've said Bogner already, so I'm going to stick with that. Would you rather they went for a sort of long weekend in Bogner? Well, certainly not Vegas. Definitely not Vegas. I rule that. I mean, China and Japan, I can see the educational and cultural benefit there. But but I also uh, made the point that she's, she studied Spanish for five years as a language, and not once did they suggest a trip to exactly. Spain. That's what I was saying. And they I... should do language course, language. So, Alison, can I just tell you, what did the school give as a reason for choosing Vegas? Um, they didn't really give one, to be honest. They just said they wanted to go to Vegas. Uh, we were sort of sending out a letter to, to gauge parents' reaction. Uh, our reaction was absolutely not. So, <laughs> I mean, it does um, seem a bit of a bizarre destination for kids, doesn't it? I mean, because one thing, I mean, it's, I, mean, it's, I mean, it is a kind of adult playground, isn't it, where people lie about yeah. in swimming pools and, well, and, and you know, not wearing very many clothes. you can do in Vegas. You can't do anything in Vegas if you're under 21, I'm sure. Right. Right. Apart from possibly watch Britney Spears, and I think that's probably all yeah, you exactly. can do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go to the Hoover <laughs> Dam and take one of those helicopter trips. But yeah, it's a kind of it is a kind of bizarre choice. But I mean, is, is the school particularly wealthy? Does it have particularly wealthy parents? No, it it was a state school. Right. Uh, it's a grammar school. Uh, but having said it, I, I, even though it's a grammar school, I would say that a lot of the children there come from quite disadvantaged backgrounds. Right. Um, so it's not in a very wealthy area of Kent. It's just, um, I mean, it, it, I was just astounded. I mean, we, all the, most of her friends didn't go on any of these trips because most of her friends are average income parents. And well, they exactly. And Alison, I was saying to Mike earlier that it would, it, it would create haves and have-nots. As Definitely. in the, 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 the kids that felt, you know, that felt disgruntled because their parents weren't rich enough to send them there. Exactly. And I'm very, very fortunate that my daughter, uh, after we discussed it as a family, she decided she would rather we paid for a family holiday than we right. all stayed at home while she went off to China. No, sure. Uh, I, listen, I'm with you on, on the subject matter of it being Vegas, because Vegas is clearly an inappropriate place to take kids. But, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, Daisy here is a bit of a champagne socialist, you know, and she <laughs> likes to likes to heart bleeds for lots of people who don't have very very much money. But the bottom line is... Isn't that, that just being a nice person? No, no of course, yeah, there we go. Saying... See, the champagne <laughs> Just they think only they have the monopoly on being nice, right? I'm also a nice person, but I have a more realistic view of the world. They're always going to have people that can't afford to do things. You know, they'll have parents who can't afford to take the kids to Bogner. Yeah, but that doesn't schools, mean you shouldn't shouldn't, take them. schools shouldn't rub it in, and schools should be a unifying factor. That's one of the reasons why kids wear uniforms, so you don't have the kids in the really expensive trainers, you know, making the kids... I'm all for that. I'm all for a school <laughs> uniform. I think that's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, but, but, but that theory of uniform is meant to be uniformality across opportunities and whatever and you know I mean, it's we very have expensive we as well by the way enough, school uniform well exactly we have enough problems with you know the kids who are on free school lunches feeling like second class citizens and so on we don't want to permeate the problem even more with some kids swanning off to china and some not being able to exactly and actually what happens is that the very very most disadvantaged children do get the trips paid for them so uh, there was one girl whose mum was a carer to her disabled dad she got to go on all the trips that's fine and i have no problem oh so what that. she didn't have to pay no well there's not but, a problem then is there but, but, yeah, but there's only one kid because, because that is one kid who's got very severe uh, 
very severe circumstances where the rest of the kids who just have parents who earn an average amount of money couldn't Well, I know. I mean, that. I certainly know from any of the uh, the things that that, uh, that happen at my kids' schools, there's t- there's a two-tier payment process, right? If you're on free school meals, you get it for less. Uh, if you're yeah. not on free school meals, you pay the, the full whack, which seems to me to be a way of making it fairer, doesn't it? Well, it does, but there's a lot of people who are struggling to make ends meet who aren't on free school meals, who are just uh, just working families who just don't earn a lot. Yeah, no, so, I know, but you, I mean, you got to can't you got to start somewhere, Alison, haven't you? You can't you yeah, can't but... just go, oh well, we can't do anything now in case somebody can't afford it. Yeah, but you don't need to go to China. You don't need to go to China. You well, can go well, to Spain. Well, you don't have to. Well, not, yeah, but not everybody needs to go to China. I presume they've got maybe 20 spots and you get the 20 people that can afford to go. Maybe some other people who can't afford to go get it for slightly less. Everybody's happy, aren't they? No, there's a lot of people who aren't happy because they can't go. Right. Well, yeah. tough. You know, I mean, I'd like to have a Ferrari, but I can't afford one. So that's it's life, it, isn't it? But you don't need to introduce these things at school. Why not? That's the way the world works. Surely that's exactly where you introduce it. You can't all be equal because <laughs> that's not the way the world works. To deliberately make some kids feel inferior. No, no, and to, it's and not about making them feel and inferior. And to waste no, a rubbish. lot of money. Why should these parents be coughing up so much money they on don't, these It's trips. not compulsory. No. You just say no. You know, there's a big word, N-O, which people seem to have forgotten yes, how to use. Yes, but I would prefer to say no to the school for coming up with such a daft idea and go and do, go and do well, a what proper, about the people who, proper trip. Well, how about the people who want to send their kids to China with the school? They would say yes, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, if, if rich people want their children to go and see China, they can book a holiday in China. Well, they can, but sometimes if the school's organised it because the school has the wherewithal and the ability to do a sort of exchange-style trip, then I think that's fine. I think, you know, the idea that we sort of start banning things on the basis that it might be a bit unfair to a few people is a nonsense, isn't it? I, my argument is definitely that the teachers wanted to go. Because they, I, why, why didn't they go to Spain? Why didn't my daughter, who was doing DCSE Spanish, ever get a trip? Yeah, to Spain? well, that's a very good question, and I, I would ask it to the school if I were you. And you're quite right to have told them that, that Vegas is a bad idea, and that's probably presumably now why they won't put up such a stupid idea again. And- <laughs> Alison, since you wrote this article and sort of lifted the lid on the Vegas trip and the China and Japan, um, have you heard from other parents who've had similar experiences at, at their children's schools? Yeah, there have been a few saying, uh, not not Vegas. I think Vegas is probably yeah, the most extreme. extreme. But uh, there have been a lot of uh, comments underneath saying, yeah, well done, because we've been, you know, we've been trying to scrape together £2,000 to send our child or to wherever uh, the school decides to go. And it's... Well, because this is what I was saying. Out of hand. I was saying earlier, most people have more than one child. Most children are like two years apart. So within a you know three or four year period, parents are going to be facing thousands. And if if they if their children persuade them that they really need to go on these trips, the the money involved is tens of thousands of pounds on mm. all these trips. Well, and I just don't think the schools are thinking about that side of things. Well, no, and I've got friends with with teenage twins in the same school. So imagine if yeah. that one came along and you've got well, there's two and a half thousand pounds for both, if you like, for each of you. So well, children are expensive, as I know very much to my cost. I'm afraid, Alison. <laughs> I mean, if you couldn't afford to have them, you shouldn't have had them. You know, it's as simple as that. Isn't yeah, it? but you're never going to budget two and a half thousand pounds for a well, trip to Vegas well, if you're a parent. Yeah, but I don't see what your argument is. I mean, if you don't want to send them, you can't afford to send them, don't send them. My argument is it's irresponsible of the schools to organise these trips. Nonsense. I really don't think it is. How about this from Phil, right? He says, my son's studying GCSEs at grammar school. Uh, he's currently in Barcelona this week. Barcelona Cathedral and the Camp Nou visited yesterday. Cost was £750 plus £200 spending money. We paid it in six instalments of 125 quid over ever since September last year. And it was good notice for making the, the payments accessible. Do you think that's ex- excessive? 
I still think a thousand pounds. I think that's a good trip to go on. It's clearly educational. It's, it's another grammar school, interesting, like Alison's school is uh-huh. a grammar school uh, in Kent. But that is clearly a sensible use of money. If you put that down in your budget and say, you know, can we, you know, can we justify this? I think it's justifiable. But I think there is an increasing trend towards unjustifiable trips. Well, if there is a trend, that's what I'm interested in, Alison. Is there a trend, as far as you're concerned, between schools who are just trying to kind of outdo each other? Well, strangely enough, my son goes to another grammar school in Kent, which I've never actually asked me for any money for a school trip yet, and he's now 16. So um, I don't know if it's a trend in every school. Mm. Certainly, I have heard it from other parents, but they are getting increasingly expensive and increasingly exotic. Uh, But um, it's not in every school, obviously, because my son hasn't done anything like that. I think he went a week to the Isle of Wight. And what was the actual, I mean, did they break down the cost of this Vegas trip as far as what was going to cost the two grand? I mean, did they include a visit no, to a lap dancing a bar or grand. something, you know? Two and a half grand. Yeah, no, they didn't. I was just, and I was just very concerned about what the children, basically the teachers wanted to be out gambling while yes. the kids stayed in the hotel room all night, I suppose. I yeah, well, maybe that's, maybe they're 400 quid of the, of the, of the payment was to go into a pot <laughs> for gambling. I mean, who knows? But, uh, but listen, I'm glad that you stand up for a good sense, Alison. Uh, I don't agree yes. with you about absolutely everything. Uh, Alison Maloney's story, you can find, of course. Uh... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Online. Now, listen, what we do have to talk about now, though, uh, is this incredible story uh, for where British rescuers have gone over to Thailand and after nine days lost in flooded uh, waters, they finally, they finally found these 12 Thai footballing uh, children who've been down there, as I say, for over a week. We're going to talk to Andy Talbot, uh, who's a cave diving expert, in a moment. Uh, but let's just have a listen to the moment these uh, boys were discovered. How, how many of you? Thirteen. Brilliant. We are coming. It's okay. Many people are coming. Many, many people. We are the first. Many people come. That's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible moment. It must have been so uh, beautiful for these boys. They're all smiling in the pictures we and can see in the papers this morning. you hear the boys saying thank you, thank yeah. you. And these Brit- you can clearly hear that there is the two British yes. divers, very British accents. These there. are the guys that were sent from the caving um, uh, council, I think, from uh, over in west of England or Wales, I'm, I'm sure. Andy will know, I'm sure. Andy, very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I mean, it's always a lovely thing to have a happy ending in these kinds of stories. Obviously, they, they're slightly worried they won't be able to actually remove them from the caves, maybe for another three or four months. But what a remarkable story. It is incredible. Um, you know, and this happens um, when this, this group was being led by their, by their coach, who, who, to be fair to him, was trying to do something nice for the kids on, on the day off. But 
Um, if you're not an experienced caver or cave guide, what you don't understand is even if the weather is nice where you are, if it's been raining maybe two or three days ago up in the mountains, that water can take that mm. time to travel down. Uh, and that's where you get these effectively underground flash floods, which, yeah. which cause the water to rise up. And Andy, give us an idea of what these caves are like. I mean, I suspect they're not how we would imagine a cave to be. Cause presumably they're enormous for a start. They are big. This particular one um, is is face horizontal, so it's a passage you can just walk along. But it does sort of go downhill and uphill, and you know it sort of snakes along, which is what's happened here. So they've been quite far in. The water levels uh, risen up, and it's flooded those sort of those lower chambers, those sort of more of the downhill sections, and then the uphill sections, the high parts of the cave have remained dry, and that's where they've taken shelter. But it means that because the only way out now is underwater, they, they are trapped in there until either the water recedes or um, or the, the, they try and dive them out. But so, that, the latter is a fairly um, sort of hard, uh, risky uh, manoeuvre to go for. For, for that um, dive, if they were to dive, do we have any idea how long they would be underwater and presumably therefore having to be breathing through apparatus? Yeah, I'm not sure the exact distance. I think there's at least two sumps. Sumps is what we call it, an underwater uh, cave section. So I think in total you'd be looking at between 5 and 15 minutes. But you've got to bear in mind that these are, um, I think, the youngest 11 years old. And they, presumably they very really weak. Swim. Yeah, um, they, they don't, you know, they're probably not, if you would swim, they'd probably get very little water conference. The water itself is going to be very muddy, so you're not going to be able to see a thing. The, the duck guys, Rick and, and John, the, the two British cave divers, would have laid a guideline on their first dive, and they'll be using that to, to sort of guide them back and forth. Um, so it's quite a technical thing to do, and I think they'll only use that as an absolute last resort if the worst case happens and the water level starts rising again and threatens the airspace they're currently in. And, and Andy, how long has it taken Rick and John to find these kids? When did they start their search? Well, I, th- I think um, they arrived a couple of days ago. Um, I don't know how, how much, but how long they, they, were, they were diving for, but I think the cave itself is, is fairly uh, simple and that it's not, it's not like a, you know, the branch of a tree with hundreds of different mm, right. um, entrances and exits and, and routes. So I think they just followed the main part of the cave, which they'd have had maps and been briefed on, um, because they, they would have suspected that the, the kids and the teacher would have followed the main, the main passageway of this cave. So I think they followed that and, and obviously they found the kids. And I was told that the second chap, John Valanthan, I think is his surname, that his background is a computer engineer and his expertise is a sort of new form of um, a, 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 a thing called a rebreather. Is that is that right? And what is that? Yeah, well, both Rick and, and John use rebreathers. Uh, it's most, most, most technical divers are going very deep or, or doing big, long cave dives have to use rebreathers. So all a rebreather is, it's, it's basically the same technology as an astronaut uses for a spacewalk. And it's a unit that recycles one breath. So it means that unlike scuba gear, which is obviously a big uh, like metal bottle filled with compressed air, um, a rebreather will last much, much longer. Oh, if people have completed rebreather dives of you know 12 hours. So you, it just gives you much, much longer uh, underwater. And I guess the uh, I'm told that they used equipment from Derbyshire Cave Rescue. And I mean, I know there's lots of other nationalities who have been helping out uh, as, as well as the, uh, the Brits. But, but is, it, is it particularly expertise from Britain that, that has done this, really? Yeah, well, the thing is, I mean, both Rick and, and John have been world record holders in, in cave diving. But, I mean, cave diving was invented in the UK back in the late 30s. Mm. Um, and the 
the thing about the UK is that our caves are very small, very tight, uh, very, very muddy, so the visibility is basically nil, which makes them incredibly difficult. The caves placed out in, in Mexico or Florida, for example, are these huge big caverns, crystal clear visibility in warm water. Mm. So because of the the very, very hard nature of cave diving in the UK, it creates a, a cave diver who's capable of, of operating in pretty much any, mm. uh, any condition. Dame Esther, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, we spoke to you earlier this year when you were doing a, a sort of road trip, a road show with your daughter um, yep. around Britain. And now it turns out you're off to the Edinburgh Fringe as well. I know, it's quite funny, isn't it? I, I mean, do you not know you're supposed to stop working at some point? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got a very low boredom threshold <laughs> or else I don't know what it is. But um, I'm certainly enjoying, obviously, being um, put through my paces by Becca, who knows no boundaries. Mm. I mean, I know you're pretty um, disgraceful and impertinent. <laughs> but, but, but compliments, she's compliments. But she's allowed to be disgraceful and impertinent, of course. Well, well, so far we haven't fallen out. Vanessa Feltz predicted that we wouldn't be on speaking terms after about two weeks of this. But actually, um, the opposite is true. Uh, we have more problems when the grandchildren are around and she's saying no and I'm saying yes. <laughs> unfortunately, you know, the grandparents' syndrome. But uh, when it's just home, we have a, a you know, great fun. And um, I managed to dig up memories that she hasn't heard me tell about five times. So, so that's good news, too. But you have said in order to avoid any squeamishness or arguments, you've you vetoed two subjects. Is that right? Absolutely right. Sex and, and Brexit. <laughs> Sex it should be quite difficult. It's quite difficult, I was saying earlier, to get both of those uh, subjects into <laughs> one sentence, isn't it? Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> very good. You should ban him as well, I think. Everybody would be very pleased if, if that happened. But, I mean, it is a remark. We've been talking this morning about school trips and the kind of, I mean, the, the great things that go on between parents and their children and, and the yeah. stories that they tell. And I guess what you're finding as well is that the more stories you tell, the more you kind of start to remember. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, something something jerks your brain cells and you suddenly remember something you haven't thought about for ages. And and the look of astonishment on one's child's face when you actually produce an anecdote that they actually haven't actually heard before is, is a wonder. But, of course, we are also talking about other people's favourite memories, like me getting arrested in the street for handing out bat soup or a dog that said sausages or a stuffed cat <laughs> called Mimi. Right. None of them are sort of animal-orientated people. Journalists remember vegetables, but actually viewers <laughs> remember animals. Yes, I think that's probably true. Well, I always said when I was working in newspapers that you get far more money uh, if you launch a campaign to save an animal than if you launch a campaign to save a child, which is rather unfortunate, but very British, I'm afraid. I'm afraid so. And if you want to save an old person, you get even less. Yes. So that's a sort of hierarchy in, you know, the British heart. It's animals first, then children, then old yes. people. And interesting. So, yeah. I was going to say it's interesting because I think the last time we, we spoke to you, you were talking about the loneliness issue because there's a story today, funnily enough, from the NSPCC mm. saying that mm. Childline are getting more and more calls now from, from younger and younger children, aged as young mm. as 10, saying mm. that they're feeling lonely because of social media, because they're feeling that nobody's inviting them to join an Instagram group or a WhatsApp group and they're feeling mm. more and more isolated. Mm. Yes, I mean, I'm hugely in favour of the internet. 75% uh, of Childline's contacts come that way now. Yeah. It is a liberation, um, and it takes you to worlds that you could never explore without it. But mm. at the same time, 
there are dangers and difficulties. And one of them is this awful exclusion that young people sometimes feel. Another one is artificial comparisons because everybody else seems so attractive and popular and you feel so ugly and unliked, you know, disliked. And then there's things like sexting and cyberbullying that we really have to arm young people against because, you know, these, those dangers weren't around when Chabon no. launched in 1986. And how can you arm them against it, though? Well, I think what you have to say is, first of all, uh, my daughter, who asked me these naughty questions, also has some very good rules like put a basket by your front door and when people come home, they drop the mobile phone or the tablet in that. And you have... Um, an internet-free hour, two hours in which everybody talks to each other, shares their feelings. It could be funny, it could be worrying, it could be just boring stuff you had to do during the day, it could be helping each other do the washing up or whatever it is, but at least there's human communication. Mm. And in that time, everybody sort of subliminally, can't say it, reassures each other that we are really important to each other, that we value each other each other and there is this unconditional love whatever other people are doing and that means if things start to go wrong if you know this sexting stuff occurs or this cyberbullying following kids home in this awful way you can at least talk about it at home and a problem shared is a you know is a problem halved and that's why childline says if you can't talk to anyone else talk to us 0800-1111 or find us online there's always someone there to listen to you, and we really do care. And Esther, I know that you set up Childline and then you set up Silverline, which we've touched upon mm. particularly, uh, and you spoke very movingly yourself about the loneliness you experienced um, after your husband died and moving into your, your very lovely flat that I've had the opportunity to interview in. And how, how is Silverline doing now? What sort of response? Because I know that obviously at this time also funding these, these um, oh, yeah. amenities is really difficult. Well, there's good news and bad news on that front. The good news is that in a couple of weeks' time, we are going to take our two millionth call, and that's in four years. So it's bad news that so many older people need us, but it's wonderful that we've been able to help them, and I get fabulous letters explaining the difference it makes to have a Silver Lime friend who are trained volunteers. We've got about 2,000 of those who make outgoing calls to people regularly from their own homes once a week, and it becomes a real friendship. So that, that's all the good news. We are able to make a difference. Well, the bad news is, and what we've got to find ways of, of sorting, is that we were able to launch because the big lottery gave us a five-year grant, and that has made a huge difference. But that runs out in September, and we've got to find ways of replacing it. And that's why I say to you, I know from bitter experience how really hard it is to raise money for older people. So I'm hoping that our fifth birthday, which happened this November, will be a time when people might like to give fifth birthday parties for us, to raise a little bit of money for us. So that's November the 25th. So one remembers all the twos and fives. It's two million calls. It's 
five years old, and November the 25th is our fifth birthday. And funnily that's, enough, that's we've... a great uh, date to remember. We'll have to have a word with our mm. bosses here at Talk Radio, see if they can Could do something for you. Yeah, we of certainly will. But funnily enough, as we've been talking about lottery funding all morning, and mm. particularly mm. how it's geographically spread, how it's decided that some of the poorest geographical areas who spend the most on lottery tickets don't benefit from lottery money. What's your experience been of requesting that money? And are you saying that you got five years worth, but now you won't get any more? Well, first of all, I think it's absolutely amazing that the big lottery were prepared to fund what was just an idea at the time. We didn't have, we'd done a pilot, but we didn't have any evidence that if we launch nationally, older people would need it and use it, or that we could make a difference. But they were looking at isolation, they wanted to do something about it, and they gave us this fantastically generous grant. And, you know, most people, when you apply for grants, they will say, well, can you see, show us your last three years' mm. accounts? And, you know, if you're new and you don't have your last three years' accounts, they turn you down. Well, the big lottery gave us, had the vision to give us that seed money. And I can quite understand, they said, you know, after five years, you've got to stand on your own feet. You know, they may, they may still be there for us. You know, if we can't find the money, we really ought to. So I'm not saying they're going to turn us down definitely, but that is that is the end of the of the terms of the government. So officially, we have absolutely got to find placement money. And I can tell you, I've got a, a friend at the NSPCC, and we, we raise money together for child out there. So I've got two heads, and God knows what I do in the middle. But anyway... Uh, people have said to me, will you please open a helpline for the middle age? And I said, well, not just at the moment. <laughs> give, me, give me a second or two. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.